Please pray with me. Father, you call us to things that sometimes seem impossible to us. We need your help to live the life you've set before us. And so we ask that you would use this time to give us fresh insight into your word and to empower us to live the way you desire us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, I was on a road trip with some friends. We were on the Indiana Turnpike, and I was driving. Uh-oh, is right. We were driving one way, and an Indiana State Trooper passed us going the opposite direction. And even though we were going different directions, he was so impressed by my driving that he wanted to turn around and talk with me about it. So he got my attention and I pulled over to talk with him and we, we had a great conversation. He told me that I was driving very efficiently and I agreed with him. He wanted to know about Pub Club and so we talked about Pub Club for a while. We had a great conversation. He was a great guy. He had all kinds of technology in his car. He not only had a computer, he also had a printer. And so he went back to his car and printed out a nice certificate for me. <laughs> and the top of the certificate read, warning. God prints out a certificate for us this morning. And at the top of this certificate, it says, warning. Warning, when you get angry, be careful. We sometimes think of anger as a bad thing. But God, through the words of Paul, says anger is not always a bad thing. Rather than thinking of anger as a carte blanche, evil emotion, it's more helpful to think of it as a warning system. Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4 and 5 that anger should be a warning system for us. It should trigger in us a response that says, warning, strong thoughts and feelings are present, proceed carefully. That's why Paul says in verse 26, be angry. Go ahead, be angry. But do not sin. When I'm angry, I want to sin. And I want to feel justified in my desire to sin because somebody else deserves it. Be angry, but do not sin. That's a tall order. How can we be angry? How can we see the warning lights and respond without sinning? In the rest of this passage, Paul gives us three ways to do that. He says, first, deal with it quickly. Second, he says, don't proliferate anger. Don't have an arms race with anger. Don't multiply it. And third, he says, Deal with anger like Jesus did. The first thing Paul tells us right after he says in verse 26, be angry but don't sin, is he says, deal with anger as soon as you can. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's telling us that if we can deal with it the day it arises, that's great. 
He isn't giving us a legalistic formula by which time we had, need to have it resolved by, but he's telling us the sooner we can deal with it, the better. The less it proliferates, which takes us to the second way Paul told us to deal with our anger, and that is to not let it multiply. He alludes to this in verse 27, to the fact that if we don't deal with anger in a good way, if we don't deal with it as quickly as we can, it will often move in and multiply in an unhelpful way. My mom stayed with me for a few days this past week. And as I got ready for her visit, I cleaned my home. I prepared a guest room. In this passage, Paul tells me, he tells all of us, that we can prepare a guest room for the devil without knowing it. He says, do not make room for the devil. Don't prepare a guest room for the devil. It's a sobering thought that if I do not deal with anger quickly, if I do not deal with it appropriately, that I will be inviting the devil to take up residence with me and to live life with me. Paul says first, deal with anger as quickly as you can. And then he says second, don't let it multiply. And then the third thing he says is, deal with it like Christ did. He mentions two explicit ways Christ dealt with anger. And verse 32 is the first way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then verse 2 is the second way. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ forgave us the reason he had to be angry with us, and then he gave up his life and his rights to be reconciled to us. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus get angry. He gets angry with how the temple is used. He gets angry with religious leaders leading people astray. He gets angry at the death of Lazarus. He had every right to be angry. We would call his anger righteous anger. It's interesting that Paul doesn't distinguish between righteous and unrighteous anger. And that tells us that even if my anger is righteous, I can still sin. Even if I am right in being angry, I can still respond in an unrighteous way. We know that Jesus' anger was righteous and that his response was righteous. We can look at stories of how he dealt with this anger and we see that example as it plays out in his life. But we also have words of instruction from him on what to do, how to process our anger, how to resolve conflict. One of those places comes in Matthew 18, and it's a challenging teaching. Paul tells us to deal with our anger quickly, as soon as possible, before the sun goes down. But in Matthew 18, we see that even if we deal with our anger quickly, we can do so in an unhelpful way or a helpful way. Because I think at our core, I think we like to deal with anger quickly. We like to go and tell other people who weren't involved, 
about what happened. And we especially like to tell people who we know will take our side and will tell us how smart and mature we are and how stupid the other people are. We like to deal with anger quickly. We either like to tell other people about it or we like to fly off the handle at the person who is responsible. Jesus says, that's one way to deal with it quickly. But that's not how I want you to deal with it. He says, that way only multiplies and makes room for the devil. And this is what he says in, verse, in Matthew 18. He says, if another member of the church sins against you, go out and point the fault when the two of you are alone. And from there, Jesus describes how to proceed if that doesn't work, if that doesn't mend the relationship. The thing I like about that teaching from Jesus is that if we together do that in a consistent way, it makes it a safe community for us to mess up. Because we're, we're all going to be messing up. It makes it a safe environment to resolve our differences and our anger with each other because we can know that the focus is on resolving the anger and the conflict and not on making other people look bad, not on proliferating the conflicts. That's the thing I appreciate about this teaching. There's another part about the teaching I don't like so much. I used to love this passage, but then this week I realized I was totally misunderstanding it. This is why I used to like the passage. I used to think that Jesus was saying, the responsibility is on the person who caused the conflict. The responsibility is on the person who sinned. And you know why I like that? Because I think, yeah, I know that I mess up from time to time, but I think that other people mess up way more than I do. And so in my misinterpretation, which is a delusional thought, of course, but it's a comforting thought. I wonder if you ever think that. I'm sure there's some of you out there who do. But in my misinterpretation of the passage, I love that because I knew I'd have to go to people from time to time when I messed up, but people would more often than not have to come to me. And so I'm writing out this nice explanation for the sermon. I get to the end, and I look back at the passage to, to check that I'm writing the right thing, and it didn't match up. It's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a pretty smart guy. So I, I, okay, so I, I retype this, this section. And I get back and I look at the passage and I type the wrong thing again. The passage doesn't say that the responsibility is with the person who, who messed up. It says if you sin against your brother or sister or if, or if the responsibility is on those who have been wronged. So how did I get this so wrong? I got it wrong because I was reading what I wanted to read. I got it wrong because that's how I'm used to seeing conflict play out in the world. And I would rather just ride people off when they do something wrong to me. Just be angry and ride them off. But Jesus says, when you've been wronged, the responsibility is on you. And then he does this other crazy thing in Matthew 5. So he says in Matthew 18, if you do something against me, it's my responsibility to go to you. But then in Matthew 5, he says, if I do something to you, it's my responsibility to go. And so you get this weird equation where the responsibility is always on me. 
When I realize there is anger present, when I realize there is a breakdown in relationship, the responsibility is always on me. The responsibility is always on you. Anger challenges our maturity. It challenges us to deal with life in a mature way. When I'm angry, I think that I'm more mature than someone else. And Jesus and Paul come to us and say, prove it. Prove you're as mature as you think you are and go and initiate the reconciliation the way Christ did. It's always our job to address anger directly, quickly, and like Christ did. It's fascinating that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly saying, don't worry about everybody else. Worry about yourself. When we get angry, we think the other person's responsible. They're the ones who have messed up. They need to come. It's their responsibility to make it right. And Jesus says to us, that's how the world does it. But you guys are different. He says, you guys are my peacemakers. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Conversely, we could flip that around and say, children of God are peacemakers. And in Ephesians 5.1, we hear Paul tell us, as beloved children, be imitators of God. Be imitators of Christ's ways. So go ahead. Be angry, but do not sin. Deal with it as quickly as possible. Don't let it spread. And deal with it the way Christ did. Laying aside the fact that someone else has messed up, he stepped in with self-sacrificial grace and initiated reconciliation. If you want something very practical to deal with anger this week, I suggest memorizing Ephesians 4.29. I'm going to try and do this myself. That verse says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Our tongues and our words often become weapons of mass destruction. And when we get angry, it's easy to get drunk on anger, and we can unleash our words and our tongues as weapons of mass destruction. In this passage, God tells us, anger isn't evil in and of itself. But how we deal with it is so important. So the next time you and I get angry, may we see the warning sign, warning, be careful how you proceed. Let's pray. Father, we know our strong emotions, and you know our strong emotions. I thank you that you give us the freedom to be angry. We need your help. We may have learned things this morning or been reminded of things, but we know that none of that will matter unless you empower us to live this out. 
Would you give us the knowledge of how much we've been forgiven by Christ? Would you bless us with your spirit to have the integrity and mercy to deal with anger appropriately? Please empower us to be peacemakers. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.